0: Welcome to the Craft Beer Showdown podcast, where information is king, drinking is mandatory, and the beer is always flowing. Now, let's check in with your hosts and see what's on draft in this session. Hi everybody, welcome to the Craft Beer Showdown. I am talking today to uh, Jeff Stuffings from Jester King Brewery out in Texas. Uh, Jester King Brewing is an awesome little brewery in Texas that does really unique beer. Uh, they do all uh, farmhouse, uh, you know, funky, sour, just you know, the the awesome and weird stuff that you don't find too often. So, uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Brian, my pleasure. Uh, glad to be uh, on your show.
0: So, um, before I got you know, we get into it and I talked to you a little bit about the, the brewery and your beer and all that. Um, I was looking at the box of beers you sent me, and I kind of wanted to uh, open one up and talk to you about it. Um, looks like I got, I have sitting here, the Nocturne uh, Chrysalis? Chrysalis. Chrysalis, yep. Chrysalis. Uh,
1: Chrysalis, you got it right.
0: You're testing me with the names of these beers. Um, the uh, Atrial Rubicite. Atrial. Yes,
1: atrial. Atrial Rubicite.
0: Atrial. And the
1: uh, Encendia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Cendia, brand brand new beer we just released at uh, End of May. All
0: right, I got I got one right so far. I'm good. Uh, and the Dichotomous. But,
1: yeah, Hibernal Dichotomous, our our winter saison. So um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Glad they got to you in one piece.
0: So. Yeah, I was very glad they there was no damage. The box was perfect. So, um, well, opening them up, I was looking at the. I was really interested. I didn't know you guys started doing these smaller bottles to start
1: with. That's right. Yeah. Um, so those are 500 ml bottles. Uh, they kind of have a interesting shape to them, which which we like. Uh, mainly our, our beer is put into 750 milliliter bottles. Yeah. Um, but uh, part of the motivation was on that was um, it was our first batch of atrial rubicite actually. And we only had about eight oak barrels uh, that we re-fermented with uh, raspberries, uh, which – didn't produce a a huge volume of of, of beer, so we wanted to kind of stretch it out a little further so more people could try our our first batch. Uh, So we went with a a smaller bottle just so the bottle limits would would be a little higher and, um, you know, more people would get to try it.
0: Okay, that totally makes sense, and it's good for me, too, trying to, you know, drink one by myself if I have to.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like usually um unless it's something really low gravity, uh I'll usually end up splitting 750 milliliter bottle with, with my wife or, or friends or something like that. It's uh um especially high gravity stuff. Like I just yeah, I just need to share it with people. Um I don't know. Uh but anyway, that's just just me. No,
0: that's the, the craft beer way to share.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sharing, beer, I, I don't know, not to go off on a tangent, but it's just as much fun to me as, as drinking it. I mean, it's just, oh, uh, yeah. getting, to, getting, to, getting to, talk, talk beer with people. Is, is just a lot of fun. So, um, for that reason, like I actually don't drink a whole lot of beer, uh, just when I'm by myself, usually it's just with, with friends, but, uh, but anyway, not, not to go off on a tangent, oh, like yeah. I said.
0: No, I mean, I, I agree with you totally. Um, so I, to start with, I wanted to open up this since you, you mentioned it, the um the atrial rubicite. Okay, cool. Um can you tell me um, a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So this um it's uh it's barrel-aged beer refermented with, with raspberries. Um it's a fairly simple beer to make actually. Uh it takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, but um not talking about a whole lot of ingredients involved. It's uh, barley and wheat, about 80% barley and 20% wheat, and um, we keep our hops uh, with a lot of our beers that we want a fair amount of sourness or acidity. We keep our hops fairly restrained. You know, we shoot for about uh, you know 10 IBU on, on the beer, uh, just a single 60-minute addition uh, to the to the work during the boil, um, and then from there uh, we start fermentation off um, with, uh, with with wild organisms. All of our beer. Is fermented with, uh, with, with wild yeast and souring bacteria. Um, it's, all, uh, it's all native cultures as well. Um, we're not purchasing our, our wild strains from, from laboratories. We're culturing them from flora that's uh, from our brewery. Um, our brewery is situated on about a 200-acre ranch in, uh, on the outskirts of, of Austin, Texas. And, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff grows out here, especially in the springtime, berries and flowers and, um, specifically stuff like agarita berries and prickly pear and dandelions. And we go and pick that flora and then we just use our background as, as homebrewers to, to harvest the yeast. Uh, really just King is a, is a collection of, of, of homebrewers. Uh, that's really where everyone who makes our beer started out and, um, We'll just add the flora to the to, to the little carboys of, of wort and then uh, harvest that the, the dregs from the fermentation. And then we do a lot of kind of blending of the various cultures and evaluate it on a sensory basis. And that's how we came up with our, our house culture that we uh, use to ferment all of our beer. So back to atrial uh, rubricite in particular, mm-hmm. uh, we'll uh, pitch the wort, uh, relatively low gravity wort, like 1036 uh, specific gravity. And then uh do an initial fermentation in, in, in uh stainless steel for about two or three weeks, kind of the most vigorous part of the fermentation. And then from there we'll rack to oak. Um we're using all secondhand uh wine barrels. Uh they're barrels that are pretty much neutral at this point. Um have had several fills of wine before they get to us, and then we use our barrels over and over again, so we're not getting a whole lot of oakiness out of our barrels. Um our barrels instead are just a place for allowed fermentation to slowly progress in the beer to to develop some hopefully some interesting flavors and aromas through through fermentation. Um, We uh, temperature control our fermentations. All of our oak oak fermentations are in a temperature controlled room. We set the thermostat at about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, One thing that's very important to us with a beer like H.R. Rubicide or or any of our beer is limiting the growth of uh, of acetobacter in the beer. to a person here at King, we really don't like vinegary flavors in sour beer or wild ales. And um, we found that the best way to combat that is through temperature control. Um, so after about uh, eight, 8 to 12 months of uh, slow fermentation and maturation, um, we'll take the beer that is otherwise ready to drink and we'll add fruit to it. Um in the case of H.R. Rubicite, we're using raspberries from Washington State. They're um, they're fresh frozen, so um they show up to us uh, you know, whole berries but, but then having been, been frozen. And then uh we'll thaw them out when they get to us and then uh add them to uh to the beer. Uh we'll uh, we've experimented with a couple of different ways of, of fruit, fruit, re, fruit re-fermentation. Um, one technique we've used is—it's uh, from the winemaking world. It's called a, a punch-down. We put the fruit uh, into a barrel that's turned up on its head, uh, fill up the barrel, and then uh, add beer to fill up all the spaces between the fruit, and then it starts to ferment. And uh, we'll just use a stainless steel kind of mashing tool, and we'll press down on the cap that forms at the top of the barrel uh, to kind of keep the cap from drying out. And um, winemakers use that technique to just get good uh, color and flavor extraction from the fruit. Um, We've also done fruit re-fermentations in stainless steel. So we'll take the beer out of the oak, put it into a stainless steel tank, and add the fruit. And then we'll uh, recirculate the fermentation every week or so, just to kind of again keep that, that cap uh, uh, that develops on top of the, the fermentation from, from drying out and getting uh, acetic. Um, and that lasts about two or three months. Um, oh, wow. we wait until yeah, um, uh, we, we wait until all of the sugars in the um, the fruit have been consumed, and we get um, about 100% apparent attenuation. I mean, our uh, our beers uh, tend to finish right around either, you know, 1.000 specific gravity or, or, you know, in the case of room I think, uh, it's like 1.004 or something like that. So yeah, I again, noticed, it's kind of not, uh, yeah. I,
0: I noticed that I was looking through all the, uh, a bunch of your beers on your website. I know it's a, a pretty common thing there with everyone, every, all of them finishing just right around
1: 1.000. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, we weren't, uh, there was a bit of a surprise to us initially is, you know, the, the, amount of, uh, of attenuation we were getting with our our beer um we like we like dry and, and of course the beer doesn't have to finish it you know at, at one to uh to be dry but but that's what we encountered and um um yeah we are still happy with the 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 mouth our our, our beers despite the the dryness and so um yeah we've just found i mean if if you use wild organisms and and, and in the case of our beer uh, you know we've had it. We've sent it off to labs. We don't have a sophisticated lab at our brewery, but we've sent it off to labs and, and, and had have, had scientists look at our beer under a microscope, and, you know, they they told us there's just, just dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of, uh, of organisms, so we don't even know exactly uh, what all is in our beer as far as micro microorganisms. Um, but just given enough time and, and temperature, um, yeah, all of the sugars are consumed. Um so, um, yeah, just in terms of uh, finishing off atrial rubicide and sorry I've kind of gone on for a while about it. But, no, that's uh, fine. This is a pretty uh, awesome beer. Uh, oh, well, thank you. Um, okay, that's cool. Uh, so, uh, so after the fr- fruit refermentation uh, is done, we have a very, very dry beer. And then the final step is uh fermentation in the bottle or the keg uh, or cask. Uh, all of our beers are naturally carbonated. Uh, we prime our beers with uh, organic dextrose sugar. Um, some of them will use uh, various types of uh, fruit juice, but but ordinarily we're talking organic dextrose sugar. And uh, you know we prime at about a rate of uh, around 6 grams of sugar per uh, 750 milliliters of beer. And um, for some of our old beers, have spent a lot of time in oak. We'll reuse them with some of our house culture um, uh, in the case of a beer like it's a we'll re-yeast uh, at a rate of about 2 million cells per, uh, per milliliter of, of beer. Uh, and then um, our bottle conditioning period lasts typically about 48 weeks. Um, usually, we'll get pretty much the amount of uh, CO2 development in the beer that we want after about four weeks. Uh but typically we give the beer another month or so uh for kind of the, the the flavors to kind of fully kind of resolve themselves and kind of uh for the beer to present the way we want. So all said and done it's about a um it's about a twelve to fourteen month uh process to make atrial site. And um yeah, beer finishes at about three point four pH and uh about five and a half percent alcohol thereabouts and uh um yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean just tasting this, I really you know, smelling it and just knowing that it'd be sour, I expected to get, uh, you know, a pretty big vinegary kind of, you know, background or at least a hint of it. And mm-hmm. tasting this, I don't get a single bit of vinegar. I mean, it's sour and it's, you know, it's fruity and it's delicious. And I get that really Thank dry you. taste, the, the good mouthfeel. But surprisingly, that's, you know, I haven't had too many of your sour beers before. um, Or too many of your beers in general because... Up in Pennsylvania, we don't get too many, sadly, but, right. uh, you know, I, I really get that you can really taste that this took some time basically.
1: Well, good. Well, well, thanks a lot. I mean, that's, um, definitely in terms of like the types of acids in beer, um, we really are aiming for, uh, lactic acid, um, yeah. which we think is, you know, kind of softer and, and a little more tangier and, and not as harsh, um. You know, for some of our fruit refermentations fermentations will get, um, you know, initially kind of get malic acid. And then, of course, you know, malolactic fermentation tends to, to resolve that out. And uh, really just, uh, you know, um, not to be too negative, but that's my biggest complaint about the style is that um, oftentimes you'll get that those kind of harsh, volatile acids, the vinegary flavors that I find very difficult to, to drink. Uh, so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the number one thing. As far as just, like, if I had to choose the one thing that I want to go right with our, our sour beers, it's just little to no acetic acid.
0: Well, at least with this one, I you succeeded, so. All right, well, we're good. <laughs> so that that kind of brings us, um, with you talking about all of that and how long it takes and all the, the processes, uh, it kind of brings me to one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about was... You know, how did you get started with this? Because you guys do things a lot differently than just about every other brewery that I've, you know, read about, been to, talked to. Um, You know, it seems like you guys really do the the old school, actual farmhouse beer.
1: Well, well, yeah, definitely. We we try to, um, I think one thing that's very big to us is, um, you know, uh, uh, well, the phrase I, I, we use around here is, is, is achieving beer with a sense of place. But, but, but you asked you know, how we came about that, so I'll kind of, I guess, uh, go back a, a little bit. Um, you know, Pretty much, uh, at least when we started out, uh, we didn't have any kind of native Texans in our, our crew here. It was my, myself and my, my brother, Michael, and then another uh, uh, fellow named uh, Ronald uh, Extract. Um, joined us. So, um, you know, we were kind of the three people involved when we were putting the, the brewery together. And, um, you know, there are a couple factors to play. I mean, we moved to central Texas. Uh, my wife is uh, what what brought me to the area. And my brother moved here to join me. And then uh, Ron was in Texas uh, at Fort Worth, in Fort Worth at the time, working for. Uh, Shelton Brothers Importers, and uh, you know, we kind of looked around uh, Central Texas, and we saw some really excellent American and English and German styles being uh, made in our our market. But um, you know, we really didn't see any um, a whole lot of stuff being done kind of the farmhouse tradition. So that was part of the appeal upon wanting to you know add something a little different to our our home market, and not uh, necessarily uh, you know trying to. You know, just make another, uh, like, Efeweizen when when we have, you know, arguably one of the best ones in the world being brewed right here in Austin in, in live oak Efeweizen. So that's kind of you know one of the examples. Then the other approach, uh, or the other influence, I would say, was, uh, you know, I mentioned that Ron uh, at the time was working for Shelton Brothers Importers. So upon meeting him uh, for the first time in my life, I had access to some of these uh, truly uh, incredible beers from breweries like like De La Seine in Brussels, and Cantillon in Brussels, and Fantôme in Soie and um, Oblagi in Belgium, and, um, you know, that's just really a, a few of, of really the, the beers that, that highly uh, influenced uh, me, at least. And uh, so that only added to it, wanting to, uh, to kind of pursue beers of, of that style. And then I guess the final piece of the puzzle, which almost just kind of reinforced uh, our our initial thoughts, was we found our location um, a little later on and, and we ended up being uh, in a rural setting, so that just kind of made everything kind of finally fit together yeah. as far as making farmhouse ales. Um, so that's really how it all came together and then from there it was a lot of a lot of experimentation um because uh when we set out to make the style uh, we didn't know one hundred percent what we were doing, so there's a lot of trial and error that went into it and then. Also, you know, I don't even think we had a full understanding of exactly you know what at least we define as to be you know authentic versions of of the style right and so our our whole brewery has been just kind of a constant evolution where we're continually trying to fine tune our process to make it you know more more authentic um so um yeah we're we're a brewery in the sense that it's it's been a constant evolution which uh has been it's been fun so
0: yeah and I You know, when I hear people say things like, oh, there's a a craft beer bubble and things are going to go under and, you know, there's too much beer, breweries like Jester King are kind of what I bring up and say, you know, you're right, there might be a hundred Hefeweizens out there that, you know, have very small differences and changes in them, and if you drink them one by one, you, you can pick it up and you can enjoy all of them, but when I look at, like, Jester King and you know, the, all the beers from like black metal down to, uh, my favorite until i I just opened up this, uh, this beer was the, uh, the Le Petite Prince, um, no, sure. you know, they're yeah. just so different. And that's what I think is really kind of the, the backbone of craft beer is the, like you said, the experimenting, the, you know, not trying to go after what a hundred other people are doing. So I appreciate what you're doing.
1: Well, yeah, well, thanks, Brian. I mean, um, and then uh, part of that, I mean, people, I say this every time I give tours on the weekend, like what really I think makes our beer unique, whether or not you like it, it, it again, is, is working outside of the uh, fairly, I think, constricting realm of pure culture fermentation. I mean, maybe that's too strong to say, but they call it constricting. because You can also obviously create an immense array of flavors and aromas uh, just from Saccharomyces, Sariciae, uh you know, Brewer's Yeast, um, but, um, you know, I think that as, you know, beer making went from something where all beer was, was, was wild, uh, yeah. to what it is today where, you know, I'm kind of guessing every 99.9% of beer is, is, is pure culture fermentation. You know, uh, myself and you know, others have, have argued that, that, maybe something was lost, uh, along the way. Um, you know, certainly, you know, pure culture fermentation has done wonders for, uh, consistency, um, repeatability, um, and, and those are good things. And, uh, our beer is, is not, uh, in, super consistent. I mean, we try to, it's relatively consistent, but, uh, um, but we just feel a phrase, uh, uh, from from you know, Jean Van Roy, from from Cantillon, and um, I'm always careful not to compare our beer brewery to them because they're frankly much better. <laughs> but, uh, but but uh, but but so he says he looks for a, a harmony of flavor in, in the beer as opposed to you know, rigid consistency, and so that's kind of a mantra that that I've definitely adopted. And um, you know, similar, I mean, and again, I'm kind of going off on very tangents, but I think this is an important one. You know, I read an article, it was a New York Times article, not long ago. That was identifying um you know differences from regional wines being uh the microorganisms found in the various climates of those regions. Um and that's something that you know we've really latched on to in, in our process is is trying to use the microclimate, the organisms in, in our locale to define the characteristics of the beer. And I, I think that's a great way to kind of do very original beer making even within the constructs of making classic styles. Like we just pointing out, um, this coming week, uh, honey beer, we're calling it beer to meal, you know, honey saison, on. And you know, that, that style has been done many, many times by many breweries, but we think ours still is unique because, um, well, the flavors and the aromas like from fermentation are just, you know, kind of by definition, um, unique because they come from right here on the land. So, um, that's really what we're aiming for in terms of making something that's that's unique, and and that's something certainly something I like to seek out when I travel is uh, both in the realm of beer and wine. You know, uh, beers that that tend to have that that sense of place.
0: No, I I agree with that two hundred percent. It's I actually teach well, a local uh, beer school around me once a month, and one of the big questions I get every time is, you know how did somebody decide to make this style of beer? Like, how did this style come about? And like you just said, I try and tell them that it's, you know, nobody just came, you know, the old styles, nobody just came up one day and said, you know what, I think I'm going to make a sour beer. They just made the beer they could make in their area, and, you know, their locale kind of made, you know, did the
1: rest. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, um, and then, you know, the variable of, uh, of the age of which the beer is consumed, I think is... Uh it's a fun one to add to the mix because oh. um you know certainly uh you know kind of just as you mentioned you know uh like if given enough time really all all beer used to to turn sour, and so I think hmm. you know that's kind of one of the fun things for us is uh you know to uh you know for some of the beers uh you know seeing how they how they change over time in the bottle as opposed to uh you know being something that's gonna remain fairly static uh so long as it's you know kept refrigerated uh uh, for a long period of time. So um, just another element to that kind of, uh, you know, you could call it inconsistency, but also, uh, you know, just kind of uh, an interesting uh, element to the beer. Now, I
0: Consistency, I align with the, the big macro guys because mm-hmm. they brew across continents and around the world, and they have to be consistent for you to not notice that that, you know, so-called domestic beer was brewed in another country. But <laughs> – you know, but it's the imperfections from just about every craft brewery that you get from year to year that make you excited to try that beer this year or to, you know, to see how that specific IPA came out. So I think Inconsistency is great. Now, the one thing that kind of brings to mind, though, is, you know, you said that it, uh, you know, this uh, the atrial here takes, uh, what, like up to 14 months to finish? with Yeah, yeah, so, and that kind of... So with that inconsistency, that's you know built into the process for good, uh, that's going to be a little bit scary. Knowing you're investing that much time and effort into a beer, and I mean and money, to you know to have 14 months for something to 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 kind of be wrong, like that 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 would make that make me nervous as heck.
1: Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's, it's it's definitely a concern of ours as well. I mean, one thing that we can do to kind of you know, lessen the, uh, the impact is is, is blending, um, yeah. and that's um, you know kind of a, a key part of of, of making um, you know, some of these styles of beer is uh, determining. You know, that that's kind of where as brewers we can kind of reassert some level of control over the process um, because really, I mean, once we start fermentation. You know, we find a, you know, suitable vessel for the beer where the beer can breathe and and oxygen can penetrate the staves of the wood and impact the biological nature of the fermentation and and we control the the temperature and then we uh, are careful not to disturb the beer so that it can, you know, form uh, a nice pellicle and and, and, uh, we control the humidity of our barrel room. But Mm -hmm. aside from, you know, those variables it's really just just letting things go and nature take its course. And, um, some of the beer fails, uh, most definitely. I mean, uh, we probably dump that of every 12 to 15 barrels we make. Um, Ooh, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, uh, you're kind of having that awareness that there's going to be a loss rate. We're going to make this part of this process. You know, it's just inevitable. We're going to make some bad beer. Um, and so, um, just having, uh, well, the patience and also knowing that, you know, our role kind of comes back into play, you know, um, you know way down the line a year later when it's time to blend and then, um, you know, kind of selecting blends that, uh, you know, you know, hopefully taste good on blending day, but that also are made with enough foresight where we're confident that the beer is going to mature well as it referments in the bottle. Um, so that's kind of an element of it too. So, um so yeah, just um, you know, kind of knowing that we're gonna lose some beer as part of it, and then also you know blending to kind of uh, account for any, uh, oh, uh, otherwise things that pro would potentially be problematic, but but uh, also to create a nice harmony of flavors, like I mentioned.
0: Yeah, well, if you ever need someone to taste test it to see if it's worth dumping or not, um, you, know, you have my address. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm. <laughs> That's true, although sometimes that's some of the worst experiences I've had with a beer is just some. I mean, when it go, can go wrong, I mean, it can be really, really vile. Uh, so uh, although you know, one thing I've seen recently is there's a new distiller that's just opened down the street from us uh, called Revolution Spirits and um, we've given them beer that otherwise was just atrocious and uh, they've distilled it and it actually works out to be quite pleasant. Uh, I, I know very little about the distillation process So it always kind of amazes me how they can just strip these awesome, or I'm sorry, awful aromas (laughs) uh, out of the beer.
0: Yeah, you know, we had a um, a local uh, rum distillery just uh, opened in Pittsburgh, and uh, he um, friends with a guy that owns it, Maggie's Farm Rum, and they uh, actually distilled a six stool Mm. of a, a local beer. And I mean, it was a fine beer. It was just a regular, you know, six six barrel. But I was amazed at what what happened to that beer once it got distilled. I mean, the six still turned into one bottle.
1: Hmm, Yeah.
0: It it was, it was um, really interesting. I mean, it's black magic to me, but
1: yeah. um, You know, where we kind of got the idea was uh, to give our bad beer to distillers was um, from um, when, uh, when Dre Fontanen had their issue where they lost uh, temperature control in their cellar. Um, I think this is like four years ago or something like that, or maybe even more than that. And uh, it ruined, unfortunately, a, a large uh, stock of, uh, of Lambic uh, in no casks. And um, one thing they did as a result of that was uh, to distill the Lambic, uh, which is now um, commercially available as uh, 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 Spirit de Armand, or if I'm getting that right, it's, or maybe it's Armand Spirit uh, the other way around. But anyway, um I, uh, I bought a bottle of that online, and uh, it was pretty awesome. Actually, it like still had some kind of like funky, almost you know, like, you know, ripened cheese aromas of, of that you sometimes find in, in authentic lambic. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, it was quite pleasant. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of where we, where we got the idea to again give some bad beer to distillers.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of. Yeah, I've never I've heard of beer being distilled, but I have never heard of kind of like bad batches getting taken and done and turned good again. That's, that's interesting. I gotta try and find that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe my next bad batch of homebrew is going to go to, uh, go to the rum distiller.
1: Yeah. It's good use for it. Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess kind of back to the, you know, the, the brewery itself, it seems like, you know, just from tasting the beer that Texas is really the perfect place for you guys to be. Um, you know, do you really think that you, you mentioned that a lot of the, cultures and things you're getting are, you know, right from the area, um, you know, do do you think that you could ever expand away from there and still kind of bring those cultures with you? Or do you think this really keeps you guys nice and, you know, and small and basically just the right size where you are in Texas?
1: Right. I think, um, I, I, we, we're of the opinion that we can never move our brewery and make the, the same beer. Um, you know, we have absolutely no plans to, uh, to brew somewhere else uh, in the world. Um, oh, um, you know, uh, I'd be lying if I wasn't intrigued by, you know, uh, for instance, like, uh, you know, uh, a mechlear, for instance, that has, you know, like various little bars and restaurants uh, in various pockets of the globe. But uh, but again, it's not brewing out of them. Uh, you know, they're just uh, freetail establishments. So uh, maybe that would be something we'd do one day. But, uh, but as far as, like, making beer somewhere else. I mean, we've, uh, again, really tried to develop flavors that are unique to, um, the Hill country. So, um, so yeah, no, I mean, uh, that's kind of, and again, that kind of goes back to that, 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 that point I was making about pure cultural fermentation where you can make relatively the, the same beer, uh, anywhere else on anywhere on earth and, and have a taste more or less the same, uh, as opposed to making beer that, uh, well, it's, is wild and uses native organisms. And, uh, I mean, you see it so often in the, the, the wine world, uh, where, um, you know, brewer, i sorry, vintners are making, uh, you know, we'll call it what you want, natural wines or bio, biodynamic wines. Uh, but essentially, you know, spontaneously fermented wines. And, you know, I think that really kind of drives that, that regional connection with, with various well, styles of wine. And so we're trying to, to supply that to, to beer, um, we're also doing spontaneous fermentation here at Jester King. Um our kind of winter of uh cool temperatures and uh inoculation uh using uh, a cool ship. Uh is very small. Uh we get really cold temperatures for just December, January and a little bit of February and, and, and that's it. Uh, okay. otherwise, you know, it's of course a very hot climate. But yeah. um but we've uh, been doing spontaneous inoculation of, of wort for for two seasons now uh winter of 13 and then this winter uh and uh the results are really really happy with uh the way things are progressing where uh we think we're making some really really good beer that we're looking forward to blending um we'll probably wait one more season uh to hopefully have kind of like three years worth of stock to start blending from so it won't be any time soon we start releasing spontaneously fermented beer but uh but it's getting closer so um that's uh you know, just again, another thing that um is that kind of partnership with with, the nat- with nature that I was mentioning and yeah. um why we're really excited about about that.
0: So the you know, speaking of nature, that's a perfect segue. Um <laughs> the, the next beer that I have here that I wanted to talk to you about was I think it's the most interesting one out of this little group is the uh hibernal uh dichotomous. Yeah. Uh, so, just a little bit of reading I was doing about it, I'm I'm really intrigued that the Rosemary Lavender, um, I've never heard of a beer with Spearmint before, and pair that with Watermelon, I mean, it sounds great. Um, I'm going to open that here in just a second, but can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, well, this beer um, was the creation of our, our head brewer, Garrett Crowell. Uh, Garrett, from uh, the Houston area, joined Jester King uh, a little over a year ago, and then we uh, we promoted him as our our head brewer um just uh, a few months back and you know we' were just really impressed with his uh his creativity and beer making and um so yeah it was his uh his recipe um it borrows from um the technique that we've we've used in the past um which uh originally was uh, we learned about from uh, brasserie uh, de la seine in uh in, in brussels uh, the uh the owner brewer there uh, Yvonne debates uh, the technique is called a uh, beer de coupage, meaning beer that, that's cut. And it's been done for centuries, um, but we really kind of learned more about how to do the technique uh, from Yvonne, uh, which basically takes, uh, involves taking very old, uh, sour beer and, and uh, using uh, that old, sour beer to inoculate young, fresh beer. Um, uh, it's kind of a way, uh, historically, where uh, brewers would try to kind of... Uh, control the biological momentum of the beer by using, uh, the organisms in, 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 old beer to, uh, to influence the, the younger beer. You know, of course at the time, the brewers had no idea that it was actually, you know, yeast and bacteria that was, was doing that. They had no underst- understanding of, uh, you know, um, uh, science and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to think of the right terminology, but essentially all the stuff that Louis Pasteur, uh, figured out. Um, so uh, so it's uh, old beer. About 40% of it is old barrel-aged beer. Um, it's been about a year in oak. Um, the old barrel-aged beer was brewed with uh, rosemary, lavender, and spearmint. And then the young beer, um, which is kind of farmhouse ale that was very kind of simple in nature, just not a lot of hops, barley, and wheat, uh, and then our house culture. And then uh, once we blended the old and the young, uh, the final step – in making this beer was to add uh, pressed watermelon juice. Um, We call it our winter saison or our our hibernal saison because um, the the watermelons are from the the winter crop down here in in Texas. Um, And so we pressed, um, I can't remember how many, 100 pounds. There's a lot of watermelons. We pressed a lot of watermelon juice and uh, added it to uh, to the blend and then gave it about another um, six to eight weeks or so to uh, to totally ferment dry. So we wanted to take the watermelon juice and have that just be totally consumed by the yeast and bacteria to make a you know very very dry beer. Um, so um, so yeah yeah that's it. It's one of the more procedurally complicated beers we've made, um, but um, but yeah that's that's uh, that's how we we went about it. Kind of medium strength, like five point eight percent pretty low pH think like two or 3.4 is a relatively tart. Um, and then, um, uh, very dry.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, just open it and, you know, just right off the bat smelling, it, I definitely pick up that spearmint. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not overpowering, but it's, it's unique to smell that in a beer. It's pretty, it's very different. I mean, I get like the, you know, the herbal kind of smelling it too, but, um, I, I, I like that. I think it's pretty good.
1: Cool. Yeah, personally, um, yeah, I get more of the um, the spices in in the nose, and then um, I tend to get the watermelon more on the, the in the finish.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely can pick up that watermelon. I like that, um, you know, to compare it to a very different beer that has watermelon. Um, not so that nobody thinks that these two are the same, but Twenty um, First Amendments Hell or High Watermelon, um, they kind of do the same thing with their watermelon, like you're saying, where. They actually use it in fermentation instead of just adding it for flavoring. So uh, you yeah. still get that hint, you know, the the essence of the watermelon in that taste and uh, not so much in the smell but a lot in the taste, but none of that sweetness because it's all gone. It's I really like how that works. I think it's the way kind of yeah. it should be. I hate it when it's super sweet.
1: Yeah, us too. Um, that just kind of developed naturally over the years. I mean, I think some of the first beers I really got into were, were some English styles of beer that, um yeah, you know, really finished quite sweet. And uh, I still enjoy those, but not nearly as much as I, I used to. And now I just kinda of really prefer you know, just to dry across the board with with almost everything I drink.
0: No, I and then uh, yeah,
1: I so, uh, and cool. And then like one little just final note on spicing. You know, again we're um we're kind of unabashedly uh, you know, uh Yvonne Debates uh disciples at our, our brewery and uh you know, one of his little mantras is that if you know if you can pick out a spice in a beer then you've overspiced it. And yes. so um you know, maybe we push that envelope a little bit with hyperbolic economists, but but it's still uh, you know, with all of our spicing we try to make it like just really, really subtle. No, I've I,
0: I love that quote. Now, I've I've repeated that many times before. I like it a lot, but I definitely don't think that this beer goes over that boundary. Well good. Um So on to, you know, I said the last one was probably the the most unique one, Um, but this one is one I'm most interested in. I don't know if I'll get a chance to open it today or not, because I have just one guy here, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, there's four bottles, yeah, that could be a lot. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'll try them all and I'll let everyone know what I think about them here shortly, but the, uh, and and I'm probably going to butcher this name again, but the uh, Encendia?
1: That's perfect, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I love beer with chilies in it. So I'm, I'm really cool. excited to taste this one. Um, is, does that mean it's a little bit of a spicier beer or.
1: You know, it, it, it's interesting because um, uh, it's, so it's a beer that we uh, aged in uh, mezcal barrels for. Yeah, saw that. Uh, yeah. For approximately a year. And uh, we added ancho uh, chilies to the boil and um, it's, fairly subtle at this point um you know we uh had a couple other spices as well uh, epizote and then uh, some agave nectar and um at this point um i mean you can definitely pick out pepper but it's it's not at all going to be I, I i get zero heat and um very subtle subtle pepper character so um, I mean if you're a fan of of, of spice beers and uh pepper beers and uh, and I am too, I think you'll find this definitely more on the more kind of subtle end of the spectrum. Okay. Um but uh but yeah, beer was was uh, we made it's a, collabor, a collaboration beer uh with a very close friend of ours from Chicago who's the owner of uh, her name's Christina Bosnick and she's the owner of uh West Lakeview Liquors in Chicago, Illinois and uh was just a Really, she just has a world-class selection of uh, beers and and, and spirits, uh, particularly types of bourbon. She's like more into bourbon than even beer and and really has an amazing selection at her store. And uh, so we wanted to do a beer with her, um, kind of through her spirits background. She was able to source these mezcal barrels for us from uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. And uh, and then from there, you know, we kind of... uh, Mexican cooking as an inspiration and, and selected those uh Mexican cooking ingredients that I mentioned. Okay. Um, Christina likes big beer, uh so we made a big beer. Uh it's uh we, we tend to generally make beers that are kind of low to medium strength. Uh it's what we like to, to drink the most. Um, but we made an exception for our friend Christina and uh made a beer that um it's 11.1 percent alcohol, which again for us is like just an enormous beer. Uh, yeah,
0: I was I was surprised when I saw that uh, the that alcohol level in that one, because I, I it's one of the reasons I really like your stuff. Is you know um, we talked a little earlier uh, before we started the show about how much we like to share beers, mm-hmm. and it's great to be able to have a couple beers that are you know five, six, seven percent to share with people, and actually be able to share more than like two or three before. You know it starts to get you stop paying attention to the beer, basically
1: right yeah i i just yeah, I just get maxed out um yeah <laughs> but uh um so um uh, yeah incendia um yeah it's it is interesting beer, I'm still getting to know it myself now that it. it's it, it's relatively uh i mean it's an old beer it was brewed in twenty twelve but uh wow. um is that, no, that's not right. It's twenty thirteen. We brewed it in January of thirteen, so it's okay. um, close. Yeah, sorry, it's it's uh, a of year off there, but um, but yeah, but we just just released it uh, over Memorial Day weekend, so um, yeah, I'm kind of uh, getting better acquainted with the, the finished version of that beer uh, now. So uh, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, one of the uh, some of our beers uh, definitely are you know kind of culinary inspired, um, like. I think i two of them I sent you like, coincidentally are like Hiberno dichotomist and and Cindia, but but generally uh most of the beer we make uh it's not like we're a brewery that's set out to adhere rigidly to the uh rhine ice uh but yeah as a but but we are a brewery that tends to mainly make beer with just you know water uh barley uh hops and microorganisms uh so um uh yeah um. That's kind of how we like to develop our flavor, but a couple of couple exceptions I, I sent your way. Yeah. Um, although I should mention, we do make a lot of uh, not to like shoot down my own what I just said, but we do make a lot of beer with fruit, uh, fruit as, as well. We uh, that's kind of one of the um, types of ingredients we do use fairly commonly is, is, is fruit, especially with the uh, a lot of our our barrel aged uh, sour beers. We like to you know, re ferment those to dryness with with, with fruit.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the the only way I really like fruit in a beer is when you do basically just that, where you know the fruit is part of the fermentation and you just get the flavor, you don't get the, the sweetness out of it.
1: Yeah, most, most definitely.
0: More from Jeff from Jester King in just a minute, but first, quick break to hear about one of our sponsors, Craft Brewed Clothing. Who doesn't love a new beer t-shirt, right? If you're listening to this show, you probably have a few t-shirts that show your allegiance to your favorite breweries, beer club, and craft beer in general. I know personally it's a hobby of mine to pick up a new t-shirt whenever I hit up a new brewery, especially out of town, so that I have a t-shirt no one else around me has. This is why the Craft Beer Showdown podcast has teamed up with our very first sponsor, Craft Brewed Clothing. Craft Brewed Clothing offers a variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and work shirts that you can buy from their site as well as memberships ranging from one month to a year in their craft brewery t-shirt club. Membership in the club gets you a new beer t-shirt every month, along with an info card, coaster, and a sticker from that month's brewery. As a special offer for Craft Beer Academy's listeners and subscribers, you can save 30% off any purchase at BrewShirtClub.com until July 31st, 2014. Just use the coupon code CBAFANS, that's C-B-A-F-A-N-S, and you'll save 30%. We're giving away a one-month trial membership every show. All you have to do is head over to craftbeeracademy.com and look for this show's post and fill out the entry form that you find there. I'll pick one lucky listener every month from those entries. Full rules will be posted on craftbeeracademy.com slash brewshirtclub. Now back to the show with Jeff Stuffings from Jester King Brewing. Noticing this is one of the higher alcohol beers leads me to uh, something I've been meaning to ask you. How um you know with aging beers and you know new versus old, um and some of your, a lot of your beers are a little bit lower in alcohol than, you know the eleven and a half percent one here. Um, do they do well aging? Is it something you recommend, or is this more of a drink it sooner than later kind of thing? Now that it's finally out of the cask and you know in
1: our hands. Um, it's um I I think our beer does do well with time. Uh, we're kind of learning a lot of these things for ourselves. Uh, since we're a relatively young young brewery, but um you know so long as the you know, kind of temperature is good and, and you know uh um it's not exposed to uh to, to you know traditional kind of spoilage things like like light or, or heat yeah. um we do kind of see time as a as a friend of our beer okay. um um sometimes i mean for instance, with some of the fruit beers I mentioned um you know for instance, we just released our uh, our second blend of um uh, a barrel-aged wild beer, uh, refermented with blackberries and nocturnal chrysalis, which I think you said I, I sent you. Yes. Um, uh, so that so that one, um, you know, the, the fruit was added uh, about you know three months ago, and it was just bottled uh, about a month ago or so. Okay. And uh, you know, it's for a very kind of old beer, kind of wild. Beer re-fermented with fruit, it's kind of until now in its infancy, having just been released. And the fruit, the fruit aroma and flavor, I think you'll find when you drink it, is pretty vibrant at this point. But that will taper off with time. Uh, you know, to, to quote John Van uh, again from Cantillon, he uh, he says that uh, in the end, uh, lambic wins. And, and let me just make a little footnote that uh, you know our, our wild beers aren't lambic. But uh, yeah. uh, but with that aside. Um, you know, uh, that, that's true that in the end, kind of the, um, wild characteristics of the fermentation do kind of win out in the end and the fruit will, will, will fade. Uh, so in those, uh, for the fruit beers, I definitely think people really should drink them like in about the, the first, uh, six months or so. Um, one thing I've noticed with our beer is that, uh, it kind of slowly becomes more and more and more sour with, with, with time. Um. Uh, particularly as I think it's just kind of hop compounds break down and the bacteria in the beer kind of wins out. So some of it is personal preference, I think. Like mm-hmm. uh, um, personally, I like a beer like Noble King or Petit Prince, which uh, are we call them? Well, Noble King a hoppy farmhouse ale, and Petit Prince are table beer, but it's yeah. still a a hoppy beer. I like to drink those fairly fresh because the, the like like really all beers you know, hops will will fade. Um, right. The beers that um, are less hop-driven, though, I actually think I, as I get to know them better, enjoy with a little more time. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, oh, um, oh, Boxer's Revenge, which is a kind of a strong sour beer, or uh, uh, Rust, which is a uh, sour red ale, or, or Funk Metal, which is a sour stout. Those beers, I, I, so as I've evaluated them more and more over time, if, if decided that I I enjoy them a little more after they've had maybe six to eight months in the bottle. So, um, it's personal preference and, you know, it depends on the beer, what we're aiming for with it. But, um, but definitely I wouldn't, you know, flat out call like time and and enemy of our beer. I think generally it's a friend.
0: Um, the last thing I really had on my list to ask you was one of the more interesting things about Jester King that really isn't beer related, but you seem to have some of the more unique art and beer names out there. Uh, You know, where, where does both of those come from? How do they kind of line up with, with the beer?
1: Cool. Um, Well, thanks for saying so. And um, I have very little to nothing to do with that part of our process. (laughs) Uh, We have a, we have an in-house artist. Um, His name is Josh Cockrell. He's a native Texan uh, from just north of Austin. And um, I worked for a period of time at Austin Homebrew, Uh, here in Austin, a local homebrew store, and uh, Josh was one of the customers at the time, and I got to talk beer a bunch with him just as he'd come in to get ingredients, and, um, yeah, we started chatting, and I told him about my plans to open a brewery, and um, he uh, approached me about doing our artwork and showed me his stuff, and I I really dug it, and I told him, like, you know, I couldn't uh, uh, necessarily, you know, just, like, hire you to be our artist, but if you wanted to do art, and then with like deliveries and construction and all the stuff we needed help with at the time. Uh, you know, we could make it work and so he was cool with that. So he uh, came on board with Jester King very early on during our construction phase as uh, really our first ever full-time employee oh, wow. and uh, yeah, and uh, um, you know, over the years has done we think some really great artwork and, and naming for us, so in addition to the artwork, he comes up with the names of uh, almost all of our beers. There's a few exceptions that, you know, various people at a brewery have, have, have came up with the name, but, but generally speaking, it's, it's Josh that comes up with the name, all of the art, and then uh, whatever's written on the back of the bottle, he writes. And so, um, yeah, that's really uh, all the, almost all the credit goes to him on that.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, just from looking at a couple of these, knowing that all of that came from him now, he might be just a little bit crazy. Not not a lot, just <laughs> Just no, he'd
1: agree with that. Uh just a it's funny. uh he uh what did he say about himself recently that uh um oh it was uh I think it was H. R. uh Giger the the Swiss artist uh just passed away recently mm-hmm. and uh I think he said that like people that like my art are either like mentally ill or, or creative and and uh I forwarded that quote to Josh and he's like, Yeah, I think that's <laughs> it's it's used me. He's a big fan of of Giger, uh so I think that kinda of fits him as well.
0: Yeah, and I even see it just a little bit of his style kind of in one or two of these, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah.
0: Well, Jeff, that that's about everything I had. We got to talk about beers. I got to try some with you. Um, really wish I could make my way out to Texas sooner than later, because I'd like to try one of every one of these.
1: Yeah, please do. That'd be cool. Um, we uh, Yeah, we're kind of... we Well, it's really hot here in the summer, but aside from that... It is a nice place to visit. We're on this uh this ranch out here in the middle country, and you know we like to keep it very laid back and pleasant out here and just uh you know a place where you can kind of sit under some some live oak trees and have have some beer and enjoy some company so that'd be cool, please yeah, please come see us
0: yeah when and if anyone listening hasn't seen anything about jester King before, um when we say it's a farmhouse brewery, when you look at the pictures of where the brewery is, it looks like a farmhouse. It just looks like a place you kind of want to, you know, eat a eat a picnic and drink a couple of the beers. So, you know, I, I don't have plans in the near future of coming out your direction, a little bit far from Pittsburgh. But it, the next time I do, it's definitely a stop.
1: Well, very cool. Yeah. And um, like I said before the show, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh uh, in July. So you'll have to uh, show me more of the local beer scene there.
0: Oh, definitely. There's a couple of good things around here, a couple new distilleries. um uh, the first whiskey distillery, first rum distillery, um, since prohibition, if I'm not mistaken. So we're, we're getting there with the beer and the alcohol little by
1: little. Nice. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know, especially with some of your, your laws, which I know are, are kind of crappy. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're
0: slowly changing just like a lot of States and some States like Florida are going backwards with their laws, but.
1: Right. You know. Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and that's uh, we're, we're lucky in the sense that uh, our laws changed uh, about a year ago, and now we can sell beer at a brewery, which used to be illegal. So that's just in terms of like running a business. I mean, that's just made a huge oh, wow. difference. So we're very, very grateful that that happened.
0: Oh yeah, especially for a smaller brewery like you guys, that has to be a huge boom to, to be able to do that. I mean, you kind of give everyone the everyone the full experience then, instead of, you know, hoping that the places your beer goes, the people know how to talk about it.
1: Oh, that, yeah, that, that's a really important point to us, uh, especially since, you know, we're trying to make these beers that, you know, have a connection to the land and, and have a sense of yeah. a, a place that, you know, we really think that part of the experience of our, our beer is, 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 drinking them, uh, well, in the land that, from which they, that they came. And, um, you know, one of the, Things. And again, they always kind of preface this with like whether you like or, or beer or not. Like one thing that I hope that people uh, associate with it is kind of it, it is the location where it's made, and it's some of my best beer drinking experiences have been where like the beer has kind of had the power to like mentally transport me back to um, when I may have visited the brewery before, as a brewery that I've, I'm drinking beer from, yeah. um, and so that kind of mental power to transport. I think is just a really cool part of the, the beer drinking. Experience, so um, yeah, I think that having being able to show people you know where the beer is made, I think this is just like you said, a, a, an important part of it.
0: Definitely. Well, Jeff, um, you know, thanks for taking time out of your day. I'm sure you're a little bit busier guy than I am, you know, helping run a brewery and and all that. So, thank you very much for taking the time and you know sending me some beers to talk about with you. Uh, you know, I can okay. talk about beer forever, but.
1: Well, cool, Brian. Well, uh, thank
0: you very much for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. So everyone else, thanks for listening. Uh, you know, this was me, uh, Brian talking to, uh, Jeff stuffings from jester King, Jeff, uh, you know, thanks again. I'll let you know as soon as the show comes up and hopefully I'll see you here in a a couple weeks.
1: Sounds great. Thanks a
0: lot. Everyone else. Thanks for listening and cheers. Thanks for listening to the Craft Beer Showdown podcast. Make sure to check out craftbeeracademy.com for more information and to give feedback on today's show. Don't forget to watch the next episode live on Google Plus Hangouts or YouTube by going to craftbeeracademy.com slash live show.